0: Welcome to The Design Diaries, a podcast for creatives, freelancers, and business owners looking for candid conversations and real advice. I'm Melissa, self taught designer, turned freelancer, and now studio owner, here to share my experiences and help you reach your goals. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, I just want to take a quick second to request that if you are listening to this podcast, anywhere that you can leave a review. So if it's Spotify, it's like with stars. If it's with Apple podcasts, you can actually leave a written review. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, it would mean so much to me if you could just throw in a quick review of what you like about the podcast, how you've been enjoying it so far. That would help me out a ton. And I also love reading your reviews. It makes me smile just because I don't really do this podcast for any other reason except to help people so if I can understand how to make it better or understand you know if you've been liking it and get some confirmation that would be awesome. So without further ado let us start with today's topic which is a new series that I wanted to introduce to you guys called hot takes. Usually I do my hot takes alongside my diary entries but i feel like it's slightly separate because a diary entry is more of like a personal testimonial and then hot takes is basically just me giving out my opinions i don't want to qualify this as like formal advice because I don't think that I can just blanket say, like if someone does these things, it's a red flag and you can't work with them. But for me, at least these are red flags that I look out for in different C's that I'm working with. So by C's, I mean contractors, coaches, and clients. I'm gonna start off first with clients. Reason being, I think clients are usually the easiest to detect red flags, and also I think it's easier to walk away from. So starting off, I have three major red flags. I could probably name some more if I really tried, but these are the main things that I always keep a lookout on, and I tend to take more seriously. So the first thing is if a client doesn't read my website and doesn't seem to know anything about me, my work, etc. So this usually happens if somebody happens upon one of my content pieces like a Reel or a TikTok without actually following my profile, or maybe they came across something of mine on Pinterest and decided to just email me using the email that's on my profile rather than going to my website. And the issue with this is it doesn't always mean something bad about the client. It could just mean that they were just really eager to reach out to me and so they just decided to shoot me an email or a DM. But the issue with that is, is that they didn't take the extra second to go and browse other materials that I have out there. I have so much information. I have a wealth of information about myself everywhere. I have this podcast. I have a TikTok. I have an Instagram. I have the website. And everything that you could possibly need to know is on all of those platforms. You don't even have to cross-reference all of those. And so if someone hasn't taken the time to at least just look at my profile and see what's going on there and see that I don't do, you know, motion design or that I... I only offer branding in a package, then that usually means that there's a lack of detail there and there's like a lack of attention or maybe that they're not taking the time um, to go just the extra step and work in the workflow that you have put in place. So. I don't like to work with people who ignore those details or who don't take the extra step because it usually means or in my experience, it kind of indicates like a lack of awareness of my processes and lack of like respect, I would say, for my time because rather than taking just an extra second to apply using my inquiry form or just go on my website and just see if there's anything that they should know before contacting me, they just decide to jump into it and ignore all of those prior steps that I have put out there as a resource for any potential client to want to see. So that's usually a big red flag for me. i demand a lot from my clients in terms of what they bring to the table. I need them to be well-read on all of our policies. I need them to be on top of our deadlines. I need them to understand how to use our project management software. And all of that requires some attention to detail and also a willingness to go the extra step so that way the project can run smoothly. So if they're not willing to do that from the very beginning, they're probably not going to switch it up and then do that in the project itself. The second thing I would say is excessive questions. So this is a very specific one, I feel like, but it's happened to me quite a few times in our inquiry call or through email. Like, let's say that we've spoken already about potentially working together. If I find that there is just an excess of questions and like a normal amount of questions is great, is fine. Not saying that I'm, I'm referring to like questions that are like in the double digits category or they're questions that are. Overly specific, or they're not really important, or they're ones that just seemed overboard or overbearing. I tend to walk away from those types of clients and those types of inquiries. And here's my reasoning: usually, if someone has an excess of questions, especially if the questions that have already kind of been answered, or are implied, or those answers can be found in the materials I've already sent them, or they were answered in our call, it it also ties back to my earlier point about a lack of detail like attention to detail or they didn't take the extra step to maybe review anything that I sent them to see if I'd answer the question already it also kind of implies a little bit of a lack of respect I think for my time if they are deciding to just shoot me an email or like ask me the question rather than to go back and see if maybe I've answered it already so that's something that I take really seriously I don't really like when people are disrespectful of my time or just not cognizant of that um But furthermore, excessive questions in the booking process usually translates to excessive questioning when we get to the actual project. So if I'm already kind of inundated with overly specific questions or ones that are relevant or I'm already getting a little bit frustrated by our booking process, it's probably safe to say that during our project, I'm also going to get similar amounts of questions. And I also will probably regret signing that client just because during a project, I need a certain level of trust. I also need like a certain level of peace to, in order to just do my job, in order to design. If I feel like there are, uh, there's a lot of t- timidity or like nervousness on the client's end, or if I feel like there's just an excess of their presence throughout the whole portion of the project where I'm supposed to be independent, I don't feel that I can work well in that environment. And that's just something I know for myself. So yeah, excessive questions are usually a no-go for me. A a normal number of questions like are, you know, it can be between 5 and 10. I feel like that's super reasonable. It's normal. It's a lot of money to invest, it's a big project. But if we're getting into that like like multiple tens of questions, that is just a lot and and I'm going to say no, unfortunately. So my third one for clients is if they come to me with predetermined or requested designs or elements and they have no flexibility on that. So just to elaborate further on what I mean this, sometimes in my um, inquiry form I will include like any specific notes or um, previous details especially if it's a rebrand so typically I'll ask for like your existing branding and I'll ask what type of aesthetic do you think you might want to go for or do you have any like design preferences? Do you have any things you want to stay away from or that you really want to try and incorporate? And I usually dislike it whenever a client comes to me with too many things in mind and they're not willing to scrap it and let me do my work. I personally can't work on top of other people's existing design ideas if I feel like it doesn't fit the brief, if it's not the best thing for the client. If someone hires me to do my job, which is to be a brand designer, in addition to being like a consultant and a strategist for them, I I just can't do my job if they're trying to take those portions of my expertise away from me. So if I'm speaking to a client and it kind of seems like they they know exactly what they want, they're not willing to, to move an inch, they're not willing to let me do what I do best then it's probably best that they work with someone else because at that point it's just designed for hire you're not asking for the experience of branding with me in my studio so that is my final red flag is just rigidity not enough open-mindedness and it, it kind of speaks again to like the lack of trust in me and it's really really hard to design and to feel confident and excited about a project when there's no trust and there's no creative freedom. So those are my three red flags for clients. Now let's move into my three red flags for collaborators slash contractors. So If you're like me and you tend to work on larger projects from time to time and you decide to work with people like a developer or a junior designer or a copywriter, this is super relevant for you. But also if, let's say, you're outsourcing something to um, another creative, like a photographer, or you're working with um, a virtual assistant, these are all things that I think fall under this umbrella for my red flags. The first thing is if they don't want to use a contract or a formal agreement, I would say run away. Reason being, it's super important no matter what type of work is being done. If someone is performing a service for you or if you're receiving any sort of service from somebody, there has to be a formal agreement in place or there has to be some sort of pre-existing agreement that is in writing. And why that is important is because you don't want to work with somebody under just some verbal agreement that's very loose God forbid something were to happen with the law or something were to happen with copyright, or maybe you just had to sell it and then you know they want to come back to you and ask for royalties. If there's no agreement that says they don't get that, then that could become a legal battle. That could open things up to a lot of interpretation and a lot of mess. And even if it's a really, really good friend or if you think in your back of your mind, oh, like they would never do that, it's probably true, but you just don't wanna even open up that possibility. And it's super easy to just buy a collaborator or contractor agreement from a template shop. I can recommend some to you if you are in the market for one. Uh, agreements for this type of thing are usually like one page. And so it's totally worth it to just slap one together and send it over before you start any work together. The second thing to notice is if there's any weird dynamic in terms of like expertise level or superiority or condescension. What I mean by that is it's it's very commonly known that creatives can sometimes clash if, if there's not this feeling of like equality or like community, if it feels a little bit competitive or if it feels like the creative thinks that like they're better than me or I don't know, something of that unhealthy dynamic, I usually have to steer clear. I always like to work with people that I would want to be friends with. It's just something that makes me feel more excited about collaborating with someone and So it also fits under that guise of like, I wouldn't want to work with someone that makes me feel bad about myself, makes me feel inferior. So you also don't want to work with any professional that makes you feel less than or makes you feel like your opinion or your expertise or your point of view might not be as valuable as theirs. Because if you're going to bring somebody on to a project that is yours, or if you're going to trust someone with something that is yours that you'll pay them for, it's really important that you have an equal hand in it and that you feel really comfortable working with this person tightly. Um, and it's important that you feel like respected. And so if there's any hint of that healthy unhealthy dynamic, then you gotta go. And the final one for contractors is disorganization or delays. So I, cannot stand when I hire someone to work on a project with me and the reason why I am late delivering a deliverable to my client is because of the contractor. I cannot think of a worse situation honestly than something being out of my hands and causing me to look bad in front of a client and I'm also paying somebody to to cause this (laughs) this dramatic consequence to me. So I always look for a really responsive contractor. I always look for someone who seems organized. So if I mentioned something already or if they have, um, we talked about, you know, working together in XYZ capacity that I don't have to remind them that of that, that they have their details all together. Um, I love when other contractors have their own workflows in place where they want to invite me to their Slack or they want to invite me to a Notion portal or they're willing to be invited to my ClickUp portal. I just really, really respect um, creatives enough to, to be considered of like their time to consider of their preferences, but there has to be some sort of workflow or preferences there. Like it's, it's really, really difficult for me to work with someone who is like scatterbrained and that's just me personally, but I also can't work with someone who seems like they might not be reliable and that I can't depend on them to um, respond to me, to give me updated and to deliver things on time. So that is a huge one for me for contractors. And the final part of this episode is coaches. So this coaches are kind of like left field, not super related to contractors and clients because it's not like a project based red flag. But I think that as somebody who has seen their fair share of coaches online and also seen their fair share of courses online there are some things that i just think are major red flags that i would never ever give someone my money if they did these things so this is just me personally again i'm not trying to attack anybody um i'm sure that there are really really great coaches out there who do these things but for me personally they just give me an unsettling feeling and i usually will turn away so the first thing is if they use income to sell or book you so I really, really dislike when people use money tactics in order to sell expertise because I know for a fact that those two things are not intertwined. Someone can make a ton of money, but they might not actually have anything super valuable to offer me or to provide. And this is just because that just might mean that they're really good at marketing or it might mean that they have... have a different demographic than me or xyz circumstance they could come from privilege like i have no idea why or how someone might have come into that income Um, but i just know that i'm looking for expertise i'm looking for tangible evidence that this person knows what they're talking about for reasons other than just income because income can mean anything second thing is unrealistic promises and claims and this usually means statements that are just completely Unfounded or or really really brash and blanket statements. So for example, like you will double your income if you join my masterclass, or um, you'll be booked out three months in advance if you take my masterclass. Those types of claims are just, I think, deceiving, and I think that it feeds a lot of false hope into the people that are actually in need of those results. And I also think too, it creates this sort of dynamic where in order to get to that result or to that end, you're convinced that you have to take their masterclass or you have to work with them and you have to give them your money, which is, isn't the case. I really dislike any sort of manipulative tactic that forces someone to think that I need this in order to to get to A to B. And so if anybody is making radic- just ridiculous claims, like it's giving late night infomercial on ABC family, you know, it's giving like shampoo, Shamwell, whatever. Um, I personally will in- instantly lose faith or lose trust in that coach just because I think a coach should be realistic and give you realistic expectations and should support you in your goals and try as much as they can to help you get there. But they shouldn't promise you anything because there really is nothing in this world that we can promise, especially as creatives, especially as business owners, as much as I wish that I could just snap my fingers and give my mentees, you know, all the results that they want. I'm never going to promise that because it's just something that I can't deliver and neither should they. So my last thing for coaches is kind of tied into what I just mentioned, but manipulation. If they're using some sort of manipulative tactic to tell you like, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, you have to do this, you can't do that. I am very anti that tactic. Um, I'm going to call it like normative language. So you should, you shouldn't. Um, this is, this isn't. It's, it's applying rules that might have worked For them onto you and I know that sounds kind of funny because this whole podcast is me giving advice based off of my own um experiences but I think that if someone is trying to convince you that their way is the only way and you know you have to spend money in order to get to the path that you want to go on I think that is extremely manipulative and I always prefer that a coach be honest about where they're getting their expertise from, their advice from, is if it's personal-based, if it's research-based. Um, and I always prefer, too, that they are more understanding, I think, of my background, my point of view. I really dislike when people just blanket tell me like, you're right, you're wrong. This is right, this is wrong. Um, it, It kind of removes a lot of autonomy from me. And the whole point of a coach is not for them to just take what works for them and then just hand it over to you and then force you to adhere to their processes and to their mindset. The whole point of a coach is to meet you where you're at, See your situation, your specific context and circumstance, and then take what they know and try and help you specifically. So I think if they're trying to give you blanket statements that may or may not actually apply to you or to your circumstance, then it probably means that this coach is not going to do the extra work of personalizing their advice of of doing the groundwork of getting to know you and understanding what might be helpful to you specifically and maybe different for somebody else so that is my final red flag for coaches let me just do a quick recap for all three of them for clients it's if they didn't read your website doesn't know anything about you or your work and trying to book you not through your process second thing is if they Ask excessive questions or it seems like they don't have very good attention to detail they're kind of wasteful of your time the third one is if they have very very specific designs or visions in mind and they're not willing to be flexible or trust your expertise for contractors the first one is if they don't want to use any contract or formal agreement the second one, if they have any sort of superiority complex or weird condescending dynamic. And the third one is if they're slow to respond, they're slightly unreliable, or they seem disorganized. And then finally for coaches, the first one is if they try to use your income to sell you or book you rather than using actual expertise or evidence. The second one is if they promise you just unrealistic claims and set unrealistic expectations. And the third one, if is that they try to manipulate you or to set normative language that doesn't really seem very universal or adaptive. So those are all my red flags. I hope this was helpful. I hope this was a too spicy of a hot takes episode. If you have any more questions or want to talk more about any of these points, feel free to message me at the Design Diaries or leave me a voice message, which is like a new feature on Spotify or on these platforms these days. Again, please um, consider leaving a review. I would totally appreciate it and hope you enjoy this episode. I will catch you in the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Design Diaries. We'll catch you on the next episode.